Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Team Grace is coming week, Mother Church has two major feast days that are surrounded by powerful doctrine and traditions. So I've decided to suspend our regular homily series on the parts of the Mass as well as the Catechism of the Catholic Church and instead focus on these feast days because these are really important parts of our Catholic way of life. Next week, we'll resume our regular homily series, but for now, we want to focus on these feast days. So we have two immediate feast days, all saints and all souls. These two feast days have been placed within the month of November by the church, which the church sees as a united whole. This is important because at the end of November, Mother Church is gonna give us another feast, the Feast of Christ the King. And that feast day is seen as connected to these two feast days that we have this week. So we have All Saints, All Souls, and Christ the King. The three feast days represent the three portions of the body of Christ, which are traditionally called the Church Triumphant, the saints in heaven, the church suffering, those souls in purgatory, and the church militant, also known as the pilgrim church, as those of us here on earth who are still cooperating with grace and working out our salvation. The three feast days show us the united body of Christ under Jesus Christ the head. The feast days remind us that as Christians, we are not alone and that death has no power over our communion. And just think about that, Team Grace. Death cannot separate the bond we have with one another. We believers on earth are united to those in heaven, and we are also united with those who are undergoing purgation in preparation for heaven. We are all united in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's discuss these two feast days we're gonna have this week. First, there's the Feast of All Saints, which is a holy day of obligation. First, let's talk about what that means. We have so many feast days in the church, but certain feast days Mother Church places an obligation on them. What does it mean that a holy day has an obligation? Well, we can discern simply from the designation that the faithful are bound to attend Mass. It is an obligation, a sacred duty that must be fulfilled. Mother Church takes these holy days very seriously. Regrettably, many of the faithful oftentimes are dismissive of the holy days, and they don't pay attention to what a holy day is meant to be. Oftentimes, priests in the past have not emphasized holy days, or perhaps themselves have not provided opportunities for the faithful to fulfill their duties for feast days. Bad teaching and bad examples aside, the obligation still stands, Team Grace. And we have to understand when Mother Church places an obligation, she expects that we will fulfill it. Listen to the words of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 2180. The precept of the church specifies the law of the Lord more precisely. On Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. The precept of participating in the Mass is satisfied by assistance at a Mass, which is celebrated anywhere in a Catholic rite, either on the holy day or on the evening of the preceding day. Number 2128 continues, the Sunday Eucharist is the foundation and confirmation of all Christian practice. For this reason, the faithful are obliged to participate in the Eucharist on days of obligation, unless excused for a serious reason for example, illness or the care of infants, or dispensed by their pastor. Those who deliberately fail in this obligation commit a grave sin. And so if we miss a holy day of obligation, you've just heard from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, if you purposely miss a holy day of obligation, it is a grave sin, what in popular jargon we call a mortal sin. So if we miss a holy day, we have to go to confession. 
If we don't go to confession, we should not receive Holy Communion until we have done so. If we miss a Holy Day of Obligation, then we don't go to confession and we receive Holy Communion, that is what our tradition calls a sacrilegious communion, which is an egregious offense to the Most Blessed Sacrament. In fact, our spiritual masters say it is worse than the kiss of Judas. So if we miss a holy day, we have to go to, ma- to confession. If we don't go to confession, we have to abstain from holy communion until we've done so. And St. Grace, just to take this to the natural conclusion so we can understand how serious this is, if someone were to miss a holy day of obligation and be unrepentant and then die, they would go to hell. It is that serious, Team Grace. Mother Church takes these holy days very seriously. That is why it is such an offense to the faith of the people of God that so many priests for so long have not preached well or adamantly about these holy days or about the Sunday obligation. Here at Team Grace, however, we are attempting to follow all of the intricacies and details and and the precepts of our faith. So here at Team Grace, you have clearly been taught what is expected of the Christian disciple. So with that understanding, we can ask, but okay, that's a holy day of obligation, but why is all saints a holy day? Well, all saints, we honor all the holy ones, not only those who are canonized, but all the saints. It's important that we clarify that everyone in heaven is a saint. So oftentimes we can restrict that just to the canonized saints, some who are represented here in our stained glass or in our statues. But we know everyone in heaven is a saint. Some of these saints, these uncanonized saints, they are only known to us and to our families. They are only honored if we who know them do so here on this earth, which is why it's so important on all saints we come and we honor all the saints. Because again, there are some saints that will only be known by you and your families. All saints therefore can be called the celebration of praise and thanksgiving. We praise God for the workings of his grace and we thank him for the presence of his holy ones who've been a part of our lives and our families. So we're going to talk more about all saints on the feast day. That's just a sneak peek. And attempt to answer the question, why is this a holy day of obligation? Again, it's a celebration of grace, and it's a call to give thanksgiving and to honor all the holy ones that perhaps are only known by you and your families. So we'll talk more on the feast day. And as a reminder, masses are Monday evening, 4 and 5.30 p.m., and Tuesday, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and then 7 p.m. And I want to stress to you, Grace, the reason why we add that 7 p.m. Mass is because I honor the ones who work. And those of you who are working and you can't come during the other times, we provide a later Mass for you in order for you to fulfill your obligation. So with that, let's turn now to the month of November itself. Mother Church approaches the month of November as a classroom, an opportunity to teach us eternal truths. She begins the month with all saints. And then throughout the month, she calls us to remember our beloved dead, both to honor those who are in heaven, but also to pray and offer supplication for those who are in purgatory. So on November 1st, in addition to the Feast of All Saints, that is when parishes are called to put out the Book of the Dead. So on November 1st, we'll put out the Book of the Dead. It's placed by the baptismal font because it's in baptism where we receive the promise of eternal life and all the faithful are encouraged to come and to write the names of their loved ones who have died. And at all the masses during November, the names in the Book of the Dead will be remembered will be recalled at the Mass. So I have to tell you, Team Grace, the past couple of years I've been shocked at how few names we have. I want to encourage you, it's a small walk after the feast day or throughout any, any time during the month of November, I want to encourage you to come up to place the names of your beloved dead. 
This is an ancient Catholic custom, one that we do in order to show that our beloved dead are still with us, that we either honor them because they're in heaven or we offer supplication for them because they're still in purgation. So the Book of the Dead will go out November 1st. Again, I encourage you, please, write the names of your beloved dead in the book. Also, it should be noted that November, for the Christian believer, it should be a relatively somber month, certainly a penitential one, as we offer prayers and sacrifices for our beloved dead in purgatory. And sometimes people will say, Father, you say prayers and sacrifices. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, sacrifices can be simple things. So, for example, avoiding meat, or maybe skipping a meal, or not having a dessert, maybe going to the gym, I don't know, <laughs> or parking farther along, farther away in the parking lot, so you have to walk farther. Whatever will cause some type of suffering that you can offer up. So sacrifices can be very small or very large. But during the month of November, we should especially be doing those for our beloved dead. By the way, Team Grace, we are called to be doing those throughout our entire life. That should be something we regularly do as Christians. So sometimes you can, just, again, just be skipping salt with our meal or ketchup. It can be small or big. But as Christians, our lives should be penitential. And during the month of November, especially penitential, we offer those for our beloved dead. And of course, that emphasis points us to November 2nd, to the Feast of All Souls. And I would like to speak just a little bit about this important feast day. Again, it's not a holy day of obligation, but it's one strongly encouraged to the faithful. And I couldn't imagine the church having to oblige people to come and pray for their beloved dead. So I hope that many of you choose to come to Mass. Now, a few things about All Souls is it is surrounded by many ancient traditions and customs. And I'd like to explain them so that you're aware of what's going on and why they are important. So first, let me just immediately state clearly that purgatory is real. Yes, we still believe in purgatory because we accept the fullness of biblical faith. And of course, many priests over the past few decades have been teaching the faithful that purgatory is not real, right? We don't believe in purgatory or indulgences or relics. We don't believe in any of that anymore. Well, they lied to you. That's not true. And again, you now know the catechism of the Catholic Church. If you hear two priests saying two different things, I refer you to go to the catechism of the Catholic Church. Go there and you will see clearly that as Christians, we believe and acknowledge the existence of purgatory. So with that understanding, we have to ask, what exactly is purgatory? Well, it's not a second chance. <laughs> when we die, we are either going to heaven or hell. There's no second chance after death. We will receive the judgment, which will be a judgment, which will be based on how we cooperated with God's grace or not, and whether we follow the way of the, Lord, of the Lord Jesus or not. Now, this might catch some people off guard, since it's popular nonsense to think that everyone who dies goes to heaven. We've heard that a lot. Oh, they died. Oh, they're, they're in a better place. They're in heaven. That's not true. The Lord Jesus didn't believe that. In fact, the reason why the Lord Jesus came and underwent his passion, death, and resurrection was to give everyone the opportunity to be saved. And of course, the Lord himself tells us, wide is the road, and many choose it, that leads to perdition. But small and narrow is the way, and few choose it, that leads to eternal life. So no, dear friends, there are people who go to hell. And when we die, we are either going to heaven or hell. Purgatory is not a second chance. Purgatory actually is an opportunity for us to receive one last cleaning up, one last purification by the Lord Jesus before we are presented to God the Father. The scriptures tell us that God the Father is so holy that even the highest of angels cover their eyes and simply cry out, holy, holy, holy. The scriptures tell us nothing sinful, nothing evil, nothing wretched can be in the presence of God. It cannot endure it. 
So the Lord Jesus, fulfilling his saving mission, will give us one last cleaning up, one last purgation, purification, before he presents us to the Father. That purification can include venial sins that are on our souls when we die. It can include temporal punishment, the consequences of our sin. Did you notice in our gospel today, Zacchaeus knew what had to be done? Half of my wealth I give to the poor, and four times I repay anyone I have cheated. That's temporal punishment. If we don't do that on this earth, we will do it in eternity. So purgation can include temporal punishment. It can also include any attachments that we have to sin. There are some people who have avoided sin, but they still go back and they relish the memory of that sin. Oh, I remember when. What? No, no, no. No attachment to sin. Denounce that sin. Don't romanticize that sin. So if that's on our soul, that has to be purified. So again, the Lord Jesus is preparing us, continuing his saving work in order to present us to the Father. So I want to state clearly, Jesus Christ is the one who purifies. Jesus Christ is the one who prepares us for heaven. Jesus Christ alone is Savior. But you know what, Team Grace? Just as here on earth, the Lord Jesus lets us be a part of one another's salvation, that doesn't end at death. You know, here on earth, I can, on earth, I can say to someone, will you pray for me? Or you can ask me to pray for you. And we give both justice and charity to one another by praying for one another. That doesn't end at death. And so death has no power over us. And the Lord Jesus allows us by our prayers and our sacrifices to participate in his saving work as he purifies the souls in purgatory. We get to be a part of that. So if we neglect our loved ones, we don't remember our beloved dead, we miss the opportunity to participate with the Lord Jesus in the Lord's work in saving and preparing this soul for paradise. Again, that's a powerful opportunity we have. So I encourage you pray and fast and offer up sacrifices for your beloved dead. So with that understanding, let's discuss some of the specific customs of all souls. First of all, do you know all souls is one of the few days in which the church mandates three masses to be offered in every parish church? Some of you may not realize that actually every priest is only supposed to offer one mass a day. I'm allowed to offer two or three in order to provide masses for the faithful. But normally it's only one. All souls is one of the few feast days that the church says every priest will offer three masses. So even if we had eight priests at this parish, every one of those priests would offer three masses. Do you know Pope St. John Paul II, he specifically asked if he could be ordained a priest on the Feast of All Saints, so that on the Feast of All Souls, he could offer three masses his first day of priesthood. So we have three masses. And the church asked that that be done in order to grant consolation to the souls in purgatory. And of course, in addition to those three masses, one of those, if there's a columbarium or a cemetery, one of those is supposed to be offered at that cemetery or columbarium. Do you realize church tradition actually calls for regular masses and devotions at cemeteries and columbaria? And yet we look at some of our sister parishes and nothing's being done. There are no formal prayers being held. So it should be regularly done, which is why here at Our Lady of Grace, every Thursday, we remember our beloved dead. And when we're able, we have that mass down at the columbarium. And on the Feast of All Souls, our noon mass, that's there at the columbarium. Oh, we've got a bagpiper. It's a nice celebration. So I encourage you, if you can on, can on all souls, come and join us at the columbarium. That mass is very important that we are literally there where our beloved ones are resting in order to offer the mass. After the mass, there's the custom called the blessing of niches. Now, some of our older Catholics might feel familiar with this. It was actually the blessing of graves. I've actually only been able to do this two times in my 15 years of priesthood. My first two years, I was at a parish at a cemetery. And after the All Souls Mass there at the cemetery, all the families went and they stood 
by where their loved ones were buried. And then the priest would walk around and bless the gravesides. It was beautiful. Both myself and the pastor, we'd make our rounds blessing them. Well, the variation of that here at our parish is the blessing of niches. That after the noon mass, if you have someone resting in our parish columbarium, you're asked to come to the noon mass, you can stand by their niche, and I'm happy to come and give the church's blessing to the niche of your loved one. So that's a custom we observe on all souls. Also in the evening mass of all souls, there's the reading of names. We've talked a little bit about this. Those who've died within the past liturgical year, November 2nd to November 2nd, the church asks that you give the names so that they can be read. This is a very solemn observation, uh, observance that the church has. Mother Church is calling out the names of her children who have died within the past year. At the end of the reading of the names, there's a singing of the Imperadisum. That's the Latin hymn that Mother Church asks to be sung at every Catholic funeral. Regrettably, very, priests, very few priests actually have it done. And I find that tremendously sad because the idea is we're supposed to associate that, that hymn, that Latin hymn with the funeral, which is why at the end of the reading of names, we have the Imperadisum. Here at Our Lady of Grace, we sing the Imperadisum at every funeral. And we are gonna sing the Imperadisum at the end of the reading of names. So if you have not yet read, sent in the names of any, anyone who has died within the past liturgical year, then I ask you to please do that uh, before the Feast of All Souls. Also, there are some other uh, customs that surround All Souls some which we have not been able to observe here at Our Lady Grace. One that, we're, one that we will be able to observe as of this year is actually having a casket here at the Mass. So there'll be a casket at the evening Mass. It'll be there, it'll be draped in purple. And it reminds those who are grieving of the funeral of their loved ones. And after the Mass, all those who would like, who've lost someone within the last liturgical year, they're invited to come up and light a candle to place the candle in the casket. Now this is important for us to realize the Mother Church has no problem with helping us cry. And in fact, Mother Church will tell us that when we're grieving, we should have some holy tears. As Catholics, we don't hide our emotions. We don't repress our emotions. My goodness, we fully express them. And the Church's rites and customs are meant to help us with that. So we come to all souls, and doing that makes us cry. That's good. God wants us to offer our hearts to Him, even if they happen to be a broken heart. So that's one, again, additional custom we can observe for all souls. All right, now we look at that. We have all saints, all souls. Now look what happens this year. That leads us right into First Friday, which means you have the opportunity to offer an hour of prayer during nocturnal adoration, Friday night all into Saturday morning. Now there are two approaches to things. Someone could look and say, no way, <laughs> no way. I was there at Sunday. I went to all saints. I'm good. I'm done, right? That's a very minimalistic view of discipleship, isn't it? But it's a very popular understanding of discipleship. In fact, that has become the majority. Discipleship has been stripped to the bare minimum. Right? Could you imagine saying to someone that you love, what's the bare minimum I have to do in order to stay in a relationship with you? Huh? Can you imagine if you said that to your spouse? Huh? You'd be sleeping on the couch tonight, okay? <laughs> what's the bare minimum? Love doesn't know bare minimum, right? So we want to do more, give more. So one view is, no, I'm going to do what's expected. I was here Sunday, I'm going to go to All Saints, that's it, I'm done. Right? But there's another perspective. I was there on Sunday, I'm going to be there for All Saints, I'm going to go on All Souls and pray for my beloved dead, and I'm going to participate with my parish in the all-night prayer vigil, I'm going to give an hour of prayer. Dear friends, that is Christian discipleship. The desire to be with the church, the community of faith to be close to the Lord Jesus, 
to give as much as we can to pour out our lives as a libation, St. Paul would tell us, in order to be closer to the Lord, to look for opportunities, to relish and rejoice in those opportunities that are given. So we're going to ask you, Team Grace, I hope that we have as many people at the All Souls Masses that we do at the All Saints Masses. And I pray that we have as many people praying for nocturnal adoration that we did last month. In fact, I hope we have more this month than we did last month. Now, I know Team Grace in a lot of parishes, I'd be talking crazy. This would be cray-cray talk up here, right? But not here at Our Lady of Grace, because I know how much we have learned. I know how much we have studied. I know that we have sought to be taught by the grace of God to be molded and fashioned by it. And I know how much we want to seek the face of God and how seriously we take our discipleship, which is why I'm going to ask you to take advantage of this week of grace. My goodness, the Holy Spirit is going to be pouring out so much grace through the church, grace that he wants to pour into your hearts and pour into your families. So I'm going to ask you to please participate. And just to conclude the week, what are we doing? We're going to have a party, folks, right? There's no better party than a Catholic party, huh? So I'm going to ask you to please join us next Sunday at 1230 for All Saints Festival. Again, we're going to have a Ferris wheel. I'm just amazed we're going to have a Ferris wheel on our parish, right? I'm so excited about that. And we're going to have a merry-go-round and hot dogs and funnel cakes and face painting, all kinds of fun, right? Because that's what we do as Catholics. We fast and we feast. We rejoice in the life that the Lord has given to us. So I encourage you, go all in, jump in, do all that you can in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ realizing what an immense privilege and opportunity we have to follow him. And I encourage you to place all of your life, all that you have, all that you are, under his lordship.